0: section 13 of edmond dantes this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org edmond dantes by edmond flag the mysterious prima donna all fashionable paris was excited over the announcement of a new prima donna whose wonderful achievements in italian opera had set even the exacting critics of italy wild with enthusiasm and delight this great artiste was no other than the renowned louise d'armilly she had never before sung in the presence of a parisian audience but her fame had preceded her and it was accepted as certain that her triumph at the Academie royale would be both instantaneous and overwhelming she was to assume the role of Lucrezia Borgia in Donizetti's brilliant opera of that name a role in which the enterprising director of the Academie royale assured the expectant public that she possessed no equal for weeks every parisian journal had been sounding her praises with unremitting zeal and now her name was as familiar as a household word in all the high society salons where the ladies and their gallants could talk of nothing but the approaching operatic event while in the cafs and on the boulevards an equal degree of interest was exhibited even the masses notwithstanding the political agitation in which they were involved had caught the prevailing excitement and the leaders of the contending parties themselves paused amid their heated discussions to talk of louise d'armilly the career of this young and beautiful artiste had been remarkable her debut had been made at brussels about two years before in company with her brother m d'armilly and there as well as at all the theatres of italy la scala argentina and ballet they had roused a perfect storm of operatic enthusiasm the origin of this young artiste was veiled in the deepest mystery rumor ascribed to her descent from one of the oldest and most respectable families of france and domestic trials among which was a matrimonial misadventure no less than the arrest of an italian prince whom she was about to wed on the bridal night as an escaped galley slave were assigned as the cause which had given her splendid powers to the stage at an earlier hour than usual for parisian fashion never fills the opera-house until the curtain falls on the second act the rue le pelletier was crowded with carriages la pignon with fiacres and the grand battelier and the passages to the boulevard des italiens with persons on foot all hastening toward that magnificent edifice constructed within the space of a single year by de to replace the building in the rue de richelieu ordered to be raised by the government because of the assassination at its door of the duke of Berri in eighteen twenty that magnificent structure which accommodates two thousand spectators with seats among the first in the orchestra stalls were beauchamp and Debray, whose attention was divided between the stage and the arrivals of splendidly attired elegants in the different loges during the overture all the elite of paris seemed on the qui vive it will be a splendid house observed Debray the debutante be she whom she may should feel flattered by such an unexampled assemblage of all the temps of paris orchestra balcony galleries amphitheatres lobbies and parterres were packed every portion of the vast edifice in short was thronged except a few of the loges and banoires into which every moment brilliant companies were entering who is that tall dark military man with the heavy moustache now making his way into the minister's box asked beauchamp after a pause that man is no less a personage than the governor of algeria Eugène caveignac marshal of camp said Debray. he reported himself at the war office this morning and is the lion of the house ah cried the journalist and that is the hero of constantine what a frank open countenance and what a distingué bearing and manner you would not suppose all that man's life passed in a camp would you his career has i understand been remarkable said beauchamp very his father was a conventionist of ninety-two a famous old fellow who among other terrible things laid at his door is said to have pawned an old man's life old Labadir, for his daughter's honour somewhat you remember as francis i spared st villiard's life for the favour of the lovely diana of poitiers his only child his aged mother is yet living a woman of strong mind though seventy and he does nothing without her advice his brother gaudefois's name was notorious as that of a powerful republican leader for years before his decease at eighteen eugène entered the polytechnic school at twenty-two he was a sub-lieutenant in the engineer corps of the second regiment in twenty eight he was first lieutenant in france in twenty nine he was captain in thirty four he was in algeria and in thirty nine his cool bold decided but discreet conduct had made him chef de bataillon despite the fact that he had incurred the royal displeasure some years before by a disloyal toast at a banquet in forty he was lieutenant-colonel in forty one marshal of camp and first commander of division of telamine in forty three he was conqueror of constantine at the first siege of which i so nearly lost my own valuable head and he is now governor of algeria after service there of fourteen years and the tall and sinewy man beside him presenting such a contrast to cavaignac with his light complexion grey hair and sullen and not very intelligent expression oh that is general Boujaude, by some deemed the real conqueror of algeria but he is not at all popular with the army his manners are simple and excessively blunt he is a perfect despot with his staff tis said yet he is quite a wag when in good humour and at ministerial dinners can unbend and make himself as agreeable as need be wished his voice is as harsh as a cossack's and in perfect contrast to that of Cavaignac, which is the richest and most musical you ever heard yet distinct emphatic and impressive bougeaud incurred intense odium with the opposition for his unwarranted severity as gaoler of the duchess of berry in thirty four and his killing du in a duel because of a deserved taunt on the subject bougeaud did his duty said the secretary though a man of his nature could hardly perform such a duty with gentleness bougeaud is not a gentleman he knows it and don't try to seem one he is only a soldier but there comes his very particular foe general la that magnificent woman on his arm is his wife and the sister of the lady who follows with her husband the ex-minister adolphe what a contrast cried beauchamp the tall and elegant figure of la mauriciere in his brilliant uniform of the spahis half oriental half french with his lovely wife and the low swarthy little ex-minister in complete black with his huge round spectacles on his nose nearly twice the size of his eyes and a wife on his arm nearly double his stature why tears reminds me of a ghoul gallanting a parry and yet that same dark little ex-minister has perhaps in many respects the most powerful mind at all events the most available mind impelled as it is by his restless ambition in all france do you observe how incessantly his keen black eye flashes around the house beneath his huge glasses he seems perfectly aware that every eye in the house is directed toward his loged but is it true that his brother-in-law owes his rapid rise to his influence at court by no means replied de if there is a man in the french army who has achieved his own fortunes that man is la Mauriciere. he went to algeria a lieutenant and bravely and gallantly has he attained his present brilliant position it was he who proposed the creation of a corps of native arab troops like the sepoys of british india and he was appointed colonel of the first regiment of spahis our quondam friend maximilian morel has a command in this regiment and is a protege of his illustrious exemplar the hostility between la mauriciere and bougeaud arises i suppose from the latter's detestable disposition his overbearing and dictatorial temper la mauriciere is not a man i take it to be the slave of any one rivalry in africa is thought to have originated the feud remarked Debray, and political differences in paris to have inflamed it bougeaud is a legitimist and la a republican silence cried the musical connoisseurs in the orchestra the curtain rises as the curtain rose a hush of expectation reigned over the audience the hum and bustle ceased and silence most profound succeeded the appearance of the fair cantatrice was the signal for such a reception as only a parisian audience can give and the first strains that issued from her lips assured them that their applause was not misplaced and surely never was the dark duchess of ferrara more faithfully personated than by the present artiste this vraise semblance which is so seldom witnessed in the opera seemed to strike every eye her figure was tall and majestic and voluptuously developed her air and bearing were haughty dignified and queen-like her complexion was very dark but perfectly clear her forehead broad and high her brows heavy but gracefully arched her eyes large black and flashing her hair dark as night and arranged with great simplicity in glossy bands and her mouth large but filled with teeth of pearl-like whiteness contrasted by lips of coral wet with the spray the entire outline of her face was roman and exhibited in its contour and lineaments even more than roman sternness and decision and its effect was still more heightened by a large mole at one corner of her mouth and the velvet robes in which she was appropriately costumed the scene between the duchess and the spaniard was received with the utmost applause and the pathos of that between the son and his unknown mother which succeeded touched the audience to tears but when the maskers rushed in and her vizard was torn off and her true name proclaimed and amid her heart-rending wailings the curtain fell on the first act the shouts were perfectly thunderous with enthusiasm the role of gennaro was performed by the brother of the cantatrice leon d'armilly a young man of twenty of delicate and graceful figure and as decidedly blonde as his sister was brunette nature seemed to have made a great mistake in sex when this brother and sister were fashioned indeed it seemed hardly possible that they could be brother and sister a remark constantly made by the audience and the kindred announced on the bills was generally viewed as one of those convenient relationships often assumed on the stage but having no more reality than those of the dramatis personae themselves a second pasta cried Chateau renault entering the stalls immediately on the descent of the curtain heard you ever such a magnificent contralto saw you ever such a magnificent bust asked beauchamp were it not for a few manifest impossibilities thoughtfully remarked Debray, i should swear that this same angelic louise d'armilly was no other than a certain very beautiful very eccentric and very talented young lady whom we all once knew as a star of parisian fashion and who the last time she was in this house sat in the same loge where now sit the african generals whom can you mean Debray? cried beauchamp a certain haughty young lady who was to have married an italian prince but on the night of the bridal in the midst of the festivities the house being thronged with guests and even while the contract was receiving the signatures the prince was arrested as an escaped galley slave and at his trial proved to be the illegitimate son of the bride's mother and a certain high legal functionary the procureur du roi now at charenton through whose burning zeal for justice the horrible discovery transpired ha exclaimed Renaud, you cannot mean Eugenie danglars daughter of the bankrupt baron whom our unhappy friend morcerf was once to have wed the very same quietly rejoined the secretary but this lady cannot be mademoiselle danglars i say absolutely for many sufficient reasons he quickly added then as if to turn the conversation he hastily remarked ah there are monsieur dants and monsieur lamartine as usual together monsieur dants exclaimed the count in surprise looking around impossible and yet most true observed beauchamp in the third loge from the ministers to the right what a wonderful resemblance there is between those men the poet and the deputy one would suppose them brothers the same tall and elegant figure the same white and capacious brow the same dark blazing eye the same raven hair and above all the same most unearthly and spiritual pallor of complexion no wonder m dants is pale said the count have you not heard of the occurrence of this evening in the chamber m dants was in the midst of one of his powerful harangues against the government when suddenly in the middle of a sentence he stopped coughed violently several times and pressed his handkerchief to his mouth then taking a small vial from his vest-pocket he placed it to his lips and instantaneously as if new life had entered him proceeded more eloquently than ever to the conclusion of his speech i heard something of this said beauchamp as he descended from the tribune his friends thronged around him anxious about his health he quieted their apprehensions with his peculiar smile of assurance but i observed that his white handkerchief was spotted with blood and he almost immediately left the chamber that man will kill himself in the cause he has espoused remarked debray see how ghastly he now looks but so much the better for the ministry he is a formidable foe indeed that loge contains the two most powerful opponents of the government and who are those men just entering the box asked beauchamp none other than the two rival astronomers of europe said debray and yet most intimate friends the taller and elder the one with grey hair a dark sharp bedouin countenance and that large wild black eye with a smile of mingled sarcasm and humour ever on his thin lips is emmanuel arago the other the short robust man with fair complexion sandy hair bright blue eye and vivacious expression is le verrier the most tireless stargazer science has produced since galileo but hush the curtain is up oh it matters not said the count only gennaro and the spaniard appear in the second act and i have neither eyes nor ears save for the duchess to-night but who are those beauchamp where in the loge on the first tier next to the minister's and directly opposite to that of m Dantes? ah two officers of the spahis and two most exquisite women exclaimed debray they belong doubtless to the african party in the minister's loge your lorgnette count what a splendid woman hardly had the secretary raised the glass to his eyes before he dropped it with the exclamation a miracle a miracle what cried both of the other young men turning to the box at which de was gazing messieurs do you remember the fair valentine de villefort whose untimely and mysterious demise all the young people of paris so much bewailed some two or three years ago and whose lovely remains we with our own eyes saw deposited in the saint-miron and de villefort vault at pre Lachaise? one bitter cold autumn evening and there listened most patiently and piously to a whole breviary of mournful speeches declarative of the said valentine's most superlative excellence undoubtedly we remember it well was the reply then behold and never dare to doubt the reappearance of the dead again to the ocular organs of humanity valentine de villefort exclaimed the count after a careful and scrutinizing survey by all that's supernatural and more exquisitely lovely than ever then it was true after all the strange story we heard said beauchamp of the young lady's resurrection and marriage to maximilian Morel, somewhere far away in parts unknown no doubt replied the count for if i mistake not and i'm sure i don't mistake now that i look more closely that stalwart splendid fellow with the broad forehead black eyes and moustache and the order of the legion of honour on his breast to set off his rich uniform of the spahis and on whose arm the fair apparition is leaning is no other than maximilian morrel himself the identical man who saved my worthless neck from a yatagan in algeria how dark he's grown said Debray. no more so than all these african heroes for instance cavignac and la but what a splendid contrast there is between the young colonel of the spahis and his lovely bride if such she be he dark as a corsican she fair as an englishwoman he upright as a poplar she drooping like a willow his hair and eyes black as midnight while her soft languishing orbs are as blue as the summer sky and her glossy ringlets as brown as a chestnut on my word said beauchamp the count grows poetical morel had better keep his beautiful wife out of the way but have you discovered who are the other couple in the box he added to the secretary who had his lorgnette in most vigilant requisition any more discoveries Debray? a sigh might have been heard as the secretary took his glass from his eye and replied simply yes and who now asked chateau Renaud, there seems no end to discoveries to-night the young man who by his decorations seems a chef de bataillon of the spahis replied de bray i cannot make out but be he whom he may he is effectually disguised from his most intimate friends by his luxuriant beard and moustache as for the lady there is but one woman in the world i have ever had the good fortune to behold who could be mistaken for her and that is said beauchamp herself and who is herself lucien asked chateau renaud have you forgotten the countess de morcerf the countess de morcerf the wife of the general who was convicted by the peers of felony treason and outrage in the matter of ali tabelin Pasha of vianina said beauchamp and who blew his brains out in despair added the count the same said Debray. she returned to marseilles with her son albert you remember albert and his strange conduct in the duel with the count of monte-cristo one could hardly forget such chivalric generosity such magnificent magnanimity and such sublime self-control as were exhibited by the young man on that occasion said beauchamp it is to be hoped he was not equally forbearing toward the arabs in his african campaigns although as his name has never been seen or heard since he entered the army in all probability he was well well cried the secretary impatiently the countess retired to marseilles and there she is said to have resided in utter seclusion in company only with morel's beautiful wife devoting the vast wealth of the deceased count to philanthropic objects having received it as his widow only with the understanding it should be thus bestowed but the rumour was said beauchamp and indeed i was so assured by m de beauville himself receiver-general of the hospitals at the time that the countess gave all the count's fortune to the hospitals and that he himself registered the deed of gift oh that was only some twelve or thirteen hundred thousand francs said debray three months after her settlement at marseilles in a small house in the alle de Mayon, said to be her own by maternal inheritance a letter came to her from thompson and french of rome stating that there was a deposit in their house to the credit of the estate of the late count of the enormous sum of two millions of francs subject to her sole control and order as the count's only heir in the absence of his son two millions of francs cried the two young men in a breath even so messieurs said debray the story does sound rather oriental but i have reason to know that it is entirely true for i made diligent inquiry about it when last at marseilles and what took you to marseilles lucien asked the count significantly the ministry replied debray with evident confusion colouring deeply but why does not the countess marry again asked chateau renaud surveying her faultless form and face through his glass in the prime of life rich and despite her past troubles most exquisitely beautiful it is strange she don't make herself and some one else happy especially as no one could ever accuse her of having very desperately loved her dear first husband added the journalist why don't she marry lucien how the devil should i know replied the secretary in great confusion you don't suppose i ever asked her the question do you upon my word exclaimed the count laughing i shall begin to think you have if you take it so warmly but hist the bell the curtain rises we mustn't lose the third act of Donizetti's chef-d'oeuvre with such a lucrezia for any woman living but it was very evident that much of the magnificent performance of the debutante and her companion in the thrilling scene between the duke and duchess of ferrara and the young captain gennaro was lost to the secretary do you observe beauchamp how strangely fascinated with the new cantatrice seems the young officer of the spahis who accompanies the countess he whispered do but look he sits like one transfixed and the countess seems transfixed also though not by the same object was the reply how excessively pale yet how beautiful she is that plain black dress without ornament or jewel and her raven hair parted simply on her forehead enhance her voluptuous charms infinitely more than could the most gorgeous costume heavens what a happy man will he be who can call her his Amen," said Debray, and the words seemed to rise from the very depths of his heart. But she will never marry. Some early disappointment, even before her union with Morcerf, has withered her heart, and the terrible divorce which parted her from him, although she never loved him, will keep her single for ever. Her first and only love is either dead or worse, married to another. See, si, see, si, Lucien cried beauchamp hurriedly at whom does she gaze so intently and yet so sadly it cannot be la martine for there sits his lovely young english wife at his side nor can it be old arago nor young le Verrier. and yet some one in that box it surely is monsieur dants cried de impossible that man seems hardly conscious that there are such beings as women his whole soul is in affairs of state his whole soul seems somewhere else just at present exclaimed the secretary bitterly look how dreadfully pale he is said beauchamp and yet his eyes fairly blaze is it the countess he gazes at is it Monsieur Dantes she gazes at at that moment amid the wild farewell of the mother to her son upon the stage the curtain came down and at the same instant m Dantes hastily pressed his white handkerchief to his lips and leaning on the arms of lamartine and arago hastily left the box ha the countess faints cried Debray, as the door closed on m Dantes. do they know each other then End of section 13.